0: New rules for classifying employees versus independent contractors. Crystal Wildman and Louise Grippen from Dinsmore and Shoals share the latest developments. I'm Lawrence Kledi, and this is Legal Talk Today. <laughs> Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We have an important topic today that will be impacting places of employment across the country. But first, let's thank our sponsor, Noda. Noda is powered by MT Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit TrustNota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's notice spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay. Let's say hello to our guests. Yes, we have two guests today. We have Crystal Wildman and Louise Griffin from the law firm of Dinsmore and Schultz. Welcome to the show, ladies.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: Yeah. Thank you for coming on, you know, and uh, I caught your article that you all wrote. Now, it's titled New D-O-L, which is short for Department of Labor. So New D-O-L repeals Trump era independent contractor test. And I thought, you know, that's going to be an important article to discuss on the air. You know, we've got businesses around the country that are beginning to ramp up coming out of the uh, the sort of COVID doldrums as government uh, kind of eases back on some of the social distancing and some of the mask requirements. More and more of these businesses are getting back to 100 percent and they may have laid off some employees. And so some of these employees might not be coming back, but they're going to need independent contractors to help them get back up to 100%. So I thought this would be the perfect time to cover this. And so Crystal and Louise, you know the work you all do at Densmore & Scholl. So Crystal, you're a partner. Um, tell us about the work you do in terms of contractor versus employee.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks again, Lawrence, for having us today. We're glad to be here. Um, Louise and I both actually work in the labor and employment group at Densmore. We've got 29 offices across the country and we problem solve for employers. So we we help employers, meaning small startups to even many on the Fortune 500 company list. And we cover all issues on the employment relationship, even day-to-day counseling on situations as they arise real time. And of course, that includes the FLSA and wage and hour issues, including this rule change we're talking about today. Of course, we also defend suits across the nation in most jurisdictions as well. I, as you said, am a partner in our Evansville office, where I practiced since 2006, and Louise is in our Cincinnati office, which is our headquarters at Densmore & Shoal. Actually, Louise's, this is a fun fact, Lawrence, Louise's prior life was as a JAG lawyer, so oh, wow. we appreciate her uh, good work, not just on our Densmore team, but also for her service to the country prior to joining us. But you're absolutely right. This is a timely issue, not just in coming out of COVID, but this is one of the issues that we have to wrestle with, with our clients on, you know, an ongoing basis, because the independent contractor test is something that is not a clear cut determination. And the Department of Labor's recent rule kind of shines a light on the importance of making sure that employers are looking at it closely
0: okay well Louise thank you so much uh, for your service I really appreciate it and so let's start with the uh, let's start with the opening question that I had I want to start really simple uh, crystal and Louise you know not every one of our listeners out there owns a business so this may not resonate in terms of importance to them but it is important so explain why it's critical for businesses to be able to properly identify whether a worker comes in and the employee classification or the independent contractor classification?
2: Sure, that's a great question. I mean, it's extremely important for both the workers and the businesses to properly classify the status as either employee or an independent contractor because that designation truly drives everything from taxes to benefits to protections afforded by the law to how the worker interfaces with the business while completing the work. Which is why we're so often called upon to advise on these decisions. Maybe, you know, examples uh, will sort of bring this home, I think. For example, if an individual is classified as an employee, that employee will be protected by the Fair Labor Standards Act, which means she's going to be afforded benefits such as minimum wage and overtime pay, unless some exemption applies, as well as the employer sponsored benefits. But if an individual is designated as an independent contractor, she is her own business owner and she's not eligible or mandated by law to receive minimum wage compensation or overtime compensation or even workers' compensation or other state benefits as well as the employer benefits. So um, it's important for that status to be accurate so that the employee is the employee or worker is treated appropriately, but also it's important because there are stiff penalties for when employers misclassify employees. You know, it can form the basis of lawsuits on a, a pretty large level whenever you talk about collective actions under the FLSA. So a mistaken classification can be pretty costly for the employer, but it could be costly for the worker too, because if a worker chooses to or enters into an independent contractor agreement and really should be treated as an employee, that individual could also face higher tax liability, which could be very significant if the misclassification goes on for a period of time.
0: Well, just one quick follow up on that. You know, I I think most people that uh, they work for someone else as as an an employee status worker. And so they understand some of those benefits. But there are benefits to being an independent contractor. And this comes up a lot here in Southern California as we talk about Uber and Lyft. But uh, tell us about some of the advantages of the independent contractor status.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are very good business reasons where it's mutually beneficial for both the individual and the employer To enter into an independent contractor agreement. I mean, our clients in certain industries in particular, you mentioned the Uber type companies, but also we're talking about trucking, construction, and gig. They often use independent contractor agreements because of the flexibility it provides to both parties. For example, many truckers might prefer to be independent contractors as owner operators of their own rig, and that'll allow them to work for multiple companies that they actually choose to do business with and they own their own equipment. They choose what their schedule is and what, what they actually haul in terms of commodities and what their routes are and also how much they want to work without being beholden to one particular company's needs. You know, similarly, persons in the gig industry or in the creative industry might prefer an independent contractor agreement because they may find that their work is really project driven rather than a long term need for a business. So those persons can operate as independent contractors and work for multiple businesses and complete a lot of different projects. Whereas maybe they wouldn't have the opportunity to do so because businesses generally don't hire long-term employees for short-term kinds of projects. And those persons can invest in their own equipment, their own modes of doing those projects that may be fit better for the actual needs of that project.
0: Well, I want to get into some of the, the the technical stuff from the legal perspective here. And so the Department of Labor withdrew from this Trump era rule in terms of the classifying workers uh, as independent contractor or as employee. Now, what does that mean when they withdraw from a Trump rule? What What are the legal ramifications of that?
1: Right. So in practice, it basically means that the independent contractor rule will never actually come into play and that the economic realities test, which has been the standard for decades, will remain in effect. So the Trump era independent contractor rule was established initially in an attempt to create an economic realities test that provided a clearer analysis to stakeholders on how to properly distinguish between employees and independent contractors. So with the existing six-factor economic realities test, the courts were seen to have been confused on how to properly analyze uh, economic dependence. There was seemingly a lack of focus in the multi-factor balancing test, and there was overall confusion and inefficiency caused by the overlap between factors. Thus, in order to try and simplify the analysis for businesses as well as the courts, especially in the current gig economy, the Department of Labor under President Trump identified two core factors that would carry greater weight than the other factors rather than looking at all the factors equally. However, the Department of Labor under President Biden found that this rule would narrow the FLSA's broad definition of employee, thus would be inconsistent with the FLSA's text and purpose. Further, the rule departed from longstanding judicial precedent that stressed that no one factor at the economic realities test would carry greater weight than any other, and that the analysis and determination of worker classification should be based on the totality of the circumstances present in each individual case. So due to these concerns, the current Department of Labor decided to withdraw the independent contractor rule prior to it actually ever taking effect.
0: Okay. Okay. And then maybe this will help me understand a little bit better, but that relationship between the Department of Labor and the Fair Labor Standards Act, how, how does that help kind of flush out this terminology?
1: Absolutely. So the Department of Labor in general is responsible for promoting and fostering the welfare of job seekers and wage earners. They're tasked with administering federal labor laws. So the FLSA was enacted in 1938, and along with that enactment, the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor was created. So the Wage and Hour Division is responsible for the administration and enforcement of the FLSA and other laws that affect virtually all private employment, as well as state and local government employment. Thus, the relationship between the Department of Labor and the FLSA is... Well, the Department of Labor, specifically the wage and hour division, is responsible for enforcing the FLSA, as well as the administration of the act, such as updating the regulations based on current national economic measurements.
0: Now, getting back to your article, now I think you all wrote this really well. I just did not understand it. And so maybe you could clarify something for me. Now, I I was under the understanding that there might be a new rule on the horizon, then all of a sudden there's not going to be a new rule on the horizon. So which is it, new rule or no new rule?
1: So right now, there is going to be no new rule. The standard that's currently in effect for classifying workers as either independent contractors or employees is the economic realities test, which is the one that has been in effect for decades. At this time, there's not going to be a new rule. However, there is support from President Biden for making California's ABC test the new federal standard rather than the economic realities test. However, to date, nothing has been officially proposed and the official standard has been and will continue to be the economic realities test.
0: So I think this is where it gets a little tricky for employers. And so the economic realities test, it involves this sort of this balancing act, I guess, from what I understand, six different factors. So can you guide us through that balancing act and then help us try to understand when someone lands in that employee designation versus independent contractor?
1: federal courts since the 1940s have consistently analyzed whether or not an individual is an employee under the FLSA by utilizing the economic realities of the employment relationship to determine whether the worker is dependent on the employer for work or is in business for him or herself. So in this analysis, the courts have used the economic realities test, which is comprised of six non-exhaustive factors. These factors include the extent to which the work performed is an integral part of the employer's business, the worker's opportunity for profit or loss, the extent of the relative investments of the employer and the worker, whether the work performed requires special skill and initiative, the permanency of the relationship, and the degree of control exercised or retained by the employer. So the courts have consistently reiterated that no one factor out of these six non-exhaustive factors is determinative. And each factor is to be given equal weight in the analysis.
0: Okay. And so that's going to play out kind of on a facts-based driven analysis. So it kind of depends on the job, kind of depends on the environment, right?
1: Absolutely. It's definitely very fact determinative. With this analysis, the courts have had great discretion to determine the weight of each factor based on the individual facts and circumstances present in each particular case. It's the totality of the circumstances which control the analysis of worker classification.
0: Well, and to make things uh, more confusing, you all also brought up this this Protecting the Right to Organize Act in your piece. You had indicated that uh, this may throw yet another wrinkle into that classification ability between independent contractors and employees. So can you build that out for us a little more?
1: Absolutely. So the Protecting the Right to Organize Act or the PRO Act would apply what's known as the ABC test to labor organizing within the National Labor Relations Act. President Biden has voiced his support for the ABC test, not just in the context of the PRO Act and the National Labor Relations Act, but also for making it the federal standard rather than the economic realities test. And this ABC test uses a 3 prong analysis to determine worker classification and would, according to supporters, create brighter lines in fewer gray areas in classifying workers while also protecting worker rights and adhering to the broad definition of employee under the FLSA. And with this ABC test, a worker is presumed to be an employee unless the employer is able to demonstrate each and every factor of the three-prong analysis. And these factors that the employer would need to demonstrate are that the worker is free from its control and direction in relation to the performance of work, that the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of its business, And that the worker operates as an independent firm. And so proponents argue that this test would, in theory, make it harder to misclassify employees as independent contractors, thus it would promote and preserve workers' rights and protections under the FLSA.
0: All right. So, Louisa, Crystal, just to wrap things up here, you know, in addition to contacting and consulting with a, with a good attorney when it comes to these classifications, you know, there, there's a, uh, an employer out there or maybe someone's starting a business and they know at some point they're going to need to hire some employees. What questions should they be asking? And then also, what resources should they be keeping their eye on, given that there might be some changes coming up in the near future?
2: Yeah, Lawrence, you're right. I mean, because the classification question is anything but clear or exact, we do recommend consulting with counsel and this multi-factor test is the one that remains in place. You know, the ABC is a potential, but the multi-factor test is the one that we have in place right now. And so you do have to analyze the whole relationship and its circumstances. Also, it's important to know that just because a business has classified a worker as an independent contractor or maybe, you know, new business owner, just because another business owner in that same industry has used independent contractors in a certain way, even for years, that doesn't mean that classification is sound. So we recommend reviewing your current classifications and ensuring your independent contractor agreements are up to date. And by the way, we haven't said that yet, but I do want to emphasize that your independent contractor agreement should be documented in a written agreement spelling out the party's understanding and responsibilities. And then it's important to actually comply with the letter of what you've put in the agreement to make sure that your. Compliant. I would also say employers be wary of how the work is actually performed so that there's a clear delineation between the employer and the independent contractor's own business, meaning, for example, that the contractor should have its own equipment, uniform, control over its terms and conditions, insurance, et cetera. And while we know from this most recent development from the Department of Labor that the core factors of nature and degree of control are not going to rule the analysis. It is always part of the analysis, so less control lends the analysis more toward independent contractor, and that's still true. In terms of what to watch, I would suggest keeping plugged into your industry-specific publications. You know, we work hard at Densmore to have um, timely publications and alerts. Also, your human resources groups like SHRM provide good information. And then, of course, there's always fact sheets and notices from the Department of Labor. All of those are good resources and hopefully will help you on your quest to wrestle with the independent contractor analysis. But thank you again for inviting us today, Lawrence. Yes, thank you.
0: Well, Crystal and Louise, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed talking with both of you. And uh, also, thank you, listeners, for choosing our show. I know you have other options out there, so your time spent with us is much appreciated. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Nota. You can find them at trustnota.com forward slash legal. That's Nota spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LT and audio crew for all their hard work. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> Boom